Mr. Mueller, obstruction of justice is a serious crime that strikes at the core of an investigator's effort to find the truth, correct? Correct. The crime of obstruction of justice has three elements, true? True. The first element is an obstructive act, correct? Correct. An obstructive act could include taking an action that would delay or interfere with an ongoing investigation. That's true. Uh, Mr. Mueller, does ordering the termination of the head of a criminal investigation constitute an obstructive act? Uh, I, 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 refer refer you, I refer you to the report. You don't have to take my word for it. Hey folks, welcome to the show. We're about to begin. We're going to talk Mueller. We're going to talk Al Franken. We're going to talk God. But first, I want to remind you guys that the way you support the show, what you guys have been doing lately at gangbuster record levels, I want to thank you guys for doing that, spreading the word on this show. In fact, that's the first thing that you can do. Just get out there and let anybody who is into irreverent, outside-of-the-box political thinking know that this is the favorite podcast they are not listening to. And once you hook them, make sure you let them know that they can get bonus episodes of the show on Monday, bonus episodes of the show on Friday, if they just head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Furthermore, if you don't like Patreon, because that's where TakePoliticsSeriously.com leads to, we've got a new option. And I swear to God, somebody better use this option. Because each and every time that some jamoke on YouTube gets banned, all I do is get Twitter messages, I get uh, 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 Patreon cancellations that say, I, in good faith, cannot support you any longer on Patreon. So I got a new option for you guys. Redcircle.com slash PX number three. Redcircle.com slash PX number three. It's literally everything you get at the $3 level on Patreon. All right? You get the exact same feed, the exact same episodes. You just get it with a different RSS feed on this new service. I've gotten enough of those that I sought out a solution for you guys. I've set up another place where you guys can support. Anytime that Patreon screws up, I can't support Patreon. Anytime that Patreon does something politically controversial on, uh, you know, banning uh, people on the left, people on the right, whatever it is, I get, hey, I'm sorry, I can't do it anymore. Now you have your opportunity. And I swear to God, if nobody supports at uh, redcircle.com slash px3, then I will know you are all frauds. This probably isn't the best way to sell the show. Just yelling at my audience and calling them frauds because they didn't give me money. <laughs> sorry for yelling. Let's go ahead and start the show. Gentlemen, welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics program. My name is Justin Robert Young. Uh, I have been up all morning watching the end. 
This is over now. You know, uh, this is done. We're done. We're done with Mueller. We're done with the Russia investigation. We're done with collusion. We're done with obstruction. It is over. There's no more. It has ceased to be. Now, in full disclosure, uh, uh, this is being recorded as the Mueller testimony is still going on. But I kind of felt like I'd seen enough, at least to record this. I do want to get this out as soon as possible so everybody can enjoy the jury deliberations on exactly what has happened. And what has happened is what I kind of thought would happen. It's the last day of high school. No, more than that. It's the last party with all your high school friends. This is the last time that you guys are all going to see each other. The last time that we're all going to be talking about all the same things. We're going to be talking about our old teachers. We're going to be talking about where our parking spots were. From here on out, this is just going to be a new conversation. And here's how you know. Here's exactly how you know that impeachment is officially a non-starter. Officially a non-starter. Because the biggest headline I am seeing coming off my Twitter right now as people are continuing to watch this and talk about it is that Robert Mueller said two things. Number one, Donald Trump is not exonerated. Cool. We knew that before. We knew it uh, yesterday. We know it again today, except now it came out of his lips. Cool. But number two, and this seems to be the thing that's catching more traction, is that Robert Mueller said it would be permissible if Donald Trump were charged after he left office. If we are now talking about stuff that may or may not happen to Donald Trump in 2021 or 2025, then the momentum you need to impeach and remove a president right now ain't happening. It's over. That's that. Any of these hearings that are coming up, if they're talking about obstruction, it's over. It's done. There's no more tension. Because the reason why those were important was because they could lead to the impeachment and removal of a sitting president. These are things that Americans really, really, really care about, no matter where you are on the spectrum. That's why people care. Because it could have career-altering, insane consequences. But if we remove the possibility of the consequences, then what do we have? Just a bunch of politicians slinging arrows and rocks at their opponents. That happens. It's dog bites man. It's not news. All right, here are my takeaways. First and foremost, RIP collusion. Oh, man. Remember all the Russian oligarch yacht records? Remember Trump Tower Moscow? Remember all the could, should, did they, would they? All the cloak and dagger. Yeah, it's over. It, that, that, that is gone. I mean, uh, look, the, the Democrats even got bored of collusion. There were no collusion questions during that Mueller hearing. And if this is the final last dance, if this is the moment where you are trying to kick up the most possible dust on the Mueller investigation, on the Mueller report, 
if you're going to be honest with yourselves uh, in terms of strategy, then the question that all Democrats have to ask themselves, at least the guys who are running the party, is why on earth did we spend so much time talking about Russia? By the end of it, we didn't even mention it. It was all about obstruction. And by the way, it's not like this is a shocking idea. It's far more likely that an inexperienced president who has put upon a, a, a tremendous investigation, a rare investigation, doesn't have a moment to uh, really compose himself, is immediately thrown into this, is plausible that he's going to obstruct justice. I, I mean, he's an impulsive guy without experience. It's way more likely, if you're just going to do the odds, it's way more likely that he obstructed justice than he had an active conspiracy with Russia to win the election. And it sounds ridiculous to even say now, but considering how much time and effort was focused on, oh no, there's definitely a link to collusion and not, hey, we believe he obstructed justice. We believe he is currently obstructing justice. We believe that he has done this. If you had built this narrative from the very beginning, you would have a lot better shot because impeachment and removal is a political process and it is about momentum. Face contorting, reality shifting momentum. So if we today, after this Mueller testimony, are in nowhere different a place than we were yesterday, then no momentum was created. That's it. If you can't have that, then nothing matters. The entire Mueller testimony should have been done split screen with Nancy Pelosi hooked up to a pulse monitor like a Twitch speedrunner. Because unless she's swayed, unless this ends with her throwing up her hands and saying, oh my God, we got to impeach this dude right now. It doesn't matter if it dies in the Senate. We have to be on the right side of history. We got we to gotta get this dude. Unless that happens, unless that happens, none of it matters. Nothing at all. Zip, zero, zilch. I'm going to do this one more time. I'm going to play the hits one more time. Just so we all know why this failed. The impeachment push failed. The way that the Democrats uh, framed the Mueller report failed. The narratives that they pressed were wrong. They bet half, they bet most of the house, most of the time and ever that was spent talking was on the home run, was on the possibility that Mueller would find Russian collusion. That came up snake eyes. So then you shift to, to, to obstruction, which by the way, you have in the Mueller report, technical obstruction of justice. He asked for people to do a thing. They didn't do the thing, and the investigation continued. But did he ask? Well, I don't know. Maybe if you would have been building up that this entire time and not worrying about uh, which vodka swiller was talking to uh, people that were in the hastily assembled Trump orbit, then maybe you would have a shot, but you didn't. Besides, even if they had built the entire case around obstruction of justice, it would have been hard 
Because you need solid evidence. You want momentum. You need evidence. Uncommon evidence to bring down a person in an uncommon position. Nixon got impeached, would have been impeached and removed if he hadn't resigned for obstruction. They needed tapes and a money trail. Have him on tape, have the money trail showing that money went to the people that were doing the bad thing. Clinton got impeached for lying on tape, but not removed. So lying on tape, obstructing justice on tape, impeached, not removed. The Mueller report found examples of failed obstruction attempts, which technically are obstruction. Sure. But we got no tapes and no money trail. And so, this is it. We're all in the parking lot, sitting next to your friend's car, parties wrapping up, and everybody knows that they're going to start leaving for college or getting their new jobs or going off to some summer vacation the next week. But we'll always have our memories. We'll always have our benchmarks. We'll always have the rogue forestry division. We'll always have our flyers that told us when and where to meet just in case Donald Trump fired Robert Mueller. We'll always have James Comey. But high school is over, friends, and I, for one, can't hardly wait to graduate. All right, real talk. Here's what happened. We're doing this newsletter. It's five days a week, okay? Five days a week, we got this newsletter going. You can get it at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. It's free. It's political. It's a newsletter. Shows up in your inbox at 12.15 every morning on the East Coast. It can be the first thing you read. Five stories a day, five days a week. Mostly gifts. Sometimes I give you some of my jury's deliberations. I think it's a pretty good time. It's very well worth the money, which, if I haven't mentioned, is zero. We are on the road to modernity. All right? We are at 1,900 and 30 subscribers. That is 1930. We are we are in the we are we are sniffing sniffing our modern electoral world. We're 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 getting into World War II right now. <laughs> Maybe that isn't the best thing to talk about. Anyway, you can help us reach that. Uh thank you to everybody who has emailed in. Uh, it is my favorite thing to do every uh, single morning is to answer all the emails that uh, people send in talking about the news stories of the day, giving their own thoughts. Uh, I include that in the newsletter every week. But do me a favor. Keep going. Keep going. Keep sending the newsletter to people that you believe would be interested in this kind of content. We are at the point where people are very interested in politics. This could be a way that you can engage them in everything that we do here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Politics! Oh, 
yeah, friends, you might not have known it, but it is indeed a very special week, brothers and sisters. If we might join hands and recognize that on the Politics, Politics, Politics programs, it is... Jesus is the one. It's God Week. He's the one. If it ain't about Jesus, I'm going to hit you with this cane. Yes, it is God Week. We are talking about religion. We are talking about uh, 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 all things spiritual on all the versions of the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast this week. Uh, for $3 subscribers, you got our show on Monday. We talked a little bit about Mitt Romney, whether or not it would have been better for him to identify more closely as a member of the Mormon faith. It was something that uh, a decision that he made. And you got to look back on it because he didn't win on whether or not it was the right one. Yesterday, we had a great interview on the show. Diane Winston from the Annenberg School at uh, the University of Southern California talked all about the shaping of religion, the coverage of religion, how various candidates historically have dealt with it, and how the candidates that are currently running now deal with religion. Fascinating stuff. She was one of my favorite guests of all time. Go back and listen to that. But we have to do something here on PX3 Prime. And so what I'm going to do for you guys is give you the official top five most godly presidents of all time. Lock it down. This is going to be the official list. Most godly presidents ever. Now, how am I justifying this? I'm going by how much they were religious people. All right, not necessarily. So I know immediately some people are going to jump and say, oh, okay, well, you know, what about Reagan? Started the moral majority. No, that was to me an element of circumstance. Not to say that Ronald Reagan wasn't a Christian or didn't, uh, uh, believe in in all the tenets that go with it, but rather, he was not somebody that wore it on his sleeve. This was a rising demographic that he spoke to, they enjoyed. Same thing with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is somebody that enjoys very high approval ratings from the evangelical community, yet I would not consider him to be a godly man himself. Mostly because, as I've said over and over again, his entire brand prior to becoming president was that of a Bible villain. So, let's go ahead and get to number five. James Garfield. James Garfield? What? He may or may not have hated Mondays, but he certainly loved himself the Lord. He's the only clergyman to serve as commander-in-chief and learned Greek so he could better understand the Bible. Aside from that, there was the coldest thing ever said as the President of the United States when the man who was assassinated six months into his term as President looked at the doctor and said... Conceal nothing from me, doctor, for remember, I'm not afraid to die. He felt he'd walked a godly enough path that he was going to join his Lord in heaven. That's hardcore. Number four, James Madison. James Madison. 
medicine. Why? Because he put his money where his mouth was. Sign a federal bill to appropriate funds for Bible distributions. He also encouraged all public officials to openly declare their faith and served on the congressional committee that established and selected congressional chaplains. A little controversial, I know, because he later retracted many of his beliefs, but yet you've got to count the record when he was in office. Number four, James Madison. Who's number three? William McKinley. The man who broke in the 1900s? The man who was shot at a World's Fair when the x-ray machine that could have saved his life was there being demonstrated? Why? Because he demonstrated his faith in deeds. Didn't drink, didn't swear, didn't smoke, avoided other sins that I probably don't have any information about, was a regular churchgoer in office, and... This might be a little weird because now two out of the five were presidents who were shot. But McKinley was shot. And apparently his last words before his death were, Goodbye, goodbye all. It's God's way, his will, not ours be done. Nearer to God to thee, nearer to thee. Nearer to thee is number three. Number two. George W. Bush. Bush Jr.? What? He was a modern evangelical for a modern evangelical age. Not only did he openly speak about his religion in an era that had become slightly more hostile to it, being quoted as saying in the primaries that I believe God wants me to be president, but he also had the story. Isn't that right? That's what matters, Tyrion. He was a drunk and a drug addict, somebody whose entire relationship was about to fall apart when his wife, a librarian, came to him and said, either you find yourself through the Lord or we are done was lost but now he's found gets clean becomes governor becomes president is somebody that can speak to the evangelical community in a mass communication age the likes of which none had done except for number one Jimmy Carter Georgia peanut farmer? Why? Because quite frankly, Stephen A., it's not even close. A Baptist Sunday school teacher who taught Sunday school in the White House and still teaches Sunday school today took a missionary journey in which he knocked on strangers' doors and said, and I quote, I'm Jimmy Carter, a peanut farmer. Do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior? Read his Bible and prayed daily throughout his time in office. And yet was rejected by the emerging evangelical right. Although I'm sure Jimmy just thought about Peter 1, 7 that says these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire test purifies gold. Through your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. It just didn't bring him a second term. But it did bring him our number one spot. Congratulations to Jimmy Carter. Those were our top five godly presidents as we roll on with... Jesus is the one. It's God's week. Week. 
if it ain't about Jesus, I'm going to hit you with this cane. Politics! You know, maybe somebody other than a 36-year-old atheist should be ranking the most godly presidents. Wrong! Well, in that case... It's time for the Parade of Wrong Opinions. Hey, you know, remember Al Franken? You know, he resigned in disgrace over uh, a Me Too scandal where he was grabbing some lady's boobs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he will never run for office again. Oh, my good God. You, you got to read this New Yorker article, guys. Uh, it is a full-on, like, if, 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 if Al Franken was not Al Franken, if Al Franken was Rush Limbaugh, who may or may not be a big fat idiot, according to Al Franken, and he had been elected to the Senate, and he resigned in the exact same scandal, this article would be reviled. It is, without a doubt, a political uh, polemic uh, against the woman and the campaign that this uh, article presumes brought down Al Franken deliberately. And and there's not any lack of evidence there. You know, it, it certainly makes the case that uh, the skit that they were doing was not specifically written for that lady as that lady initially said they attacked the character of the witness but like it's so amazing that we're back we're back here we're back here at the point where somebody makes a sexual assault claim and there's enough real about it for there to be a wrong right nobody even in this article they're not al franken isn't saying that he is without sin He's just saying that it shouldn't have cost him his career in the Senate. He should not have committed political suicide over it. And this article goes the extra mile to say that he should not have. That this was done. This did not meet the level of uh, muster that, that uh, I guess, a, a claim like this should. Which, of course, makes me think that Al Franken's running for office again. He still has a tremendous donor network. He's still a name that's been floated around. I have posited without any evidence that I believe that uh, some of Pete Buttigieg's big, big, big money that has uh, come to him in the second quarter came from some of the donors that were Al Franken fans, which is why Pete Buttigieg came out and said that he would not have kicked Al Franken out of the Senate. He's going to run. He is going to run again. Mark my words. And you want to know what? He might even announce that run on MSNBC, a network that Bernie Sanders absolutely loves. Wrong! It's fascinating to watch how some of these 2020 candidates have this love-hate relationship with MSNBC because I don't know exactly... Well, I guess their point is they play favorites. Which I guess every network does at a certain point. I mean, hell, Ted Cruz came out this week and said that, you know what? Fox News just really decided that Trump was going to be the guy and I couldn't get over that. So this is not odd that 
in the top ranks of partisan media, and I would say MSNBC is at the top ranks of liberal partisan media, that you would have candidates arguing about why they're playing favorites and they're being unfair. I follow uh, the the Andrew Yang subreddit, and that is 50% of all posts are bitching about MSNBC and how they're leaving Yang off poll graphics and stuff like that. But here's the quote from Nina Turner, the national co-chair of Sanders' campaign. More often than not, these commentators are injecting their opinion without any policy discussion. They're not there to tell the gospel truth. Which, I mean... Doy, right? Of course they're not there to tell the gospel truth. They're on MSNBC. They're there to confirm your beliefs or anger you, whatever you want, as long as you stay through the next commercial break so you can watch that Cash for Gold ad. Hey, Cory Booker is definitely not going to call Joe Biden a racist on stage during the debates next week. Wrong! Oh, he's definitely going to call Joe Biden a racist. That's going to happen. <laughs> Cory Booker, the new look Cory Booker. Oh, man. Cory Booker used to be prim and proper. Cory Booker used to play by the play by the rules. But now Cory Booker's got a leather jacket that he flips the collar up on. And he's cracking his knuckles. And he's, you know, smoking a cigarette in the, in the bathroom because it's the new bad boy Booker, baby. He's giving targeted criticism to Joe Biden specifically about mass incarceration. Whether this foretells that Cory Booker will be a little bit more gloves off during the debates next week, I, I think is, is fairly certain. He's going to say something. He needs to make waves and he's going to do it by getting a little mean. No more radical love. Now it's time for Cory Booker to start throwing haymakers. Legit, I have told you guys weeks ago, right? I told you guys weeks ago. Things are going to start getting threadbare and desperate for these uh, candidates. I'm telling you. Uh, we are closer to big candidates like Cory Booker deciding to drop out than you think. I would bet that Cory Booker will not make it to Iowa. Because this is like, this is Marco Rubio after New Hampshire desperate. Right? Like when, when Marco Rubio started getting you know, down in the dirt with, uh, with, with Donald Trump and then immediately regretted it. That's where Cory Booker is right now. Hey, new United Kingdom Prime Minister Boris Johnson cares about the continuity of his cabinet. Wrong! Nah, he is cleaning house. Uh, officially sworn in today. I don't know if he's sworn in. I don't know what they do out in Britain. But uh, he is now officially the prime minister, and he is assembling his cabinet, and it is going to be a new-look operation. Sanjay Javid is the new chancellor. Preeti Patel is the Home Secretary, and Dominic Robb is the Foreign Secretary. These are all going to be key offices as Boris Johnson plays hardball with the European Union. He has said they are out of the European Union. The, Uni the United Kingdom is out of there on Halloween, October 31st. Oh, so spooky. You want to know what else is spooky? Some of these numbers... 
out of Iowa. But that means we got to talk about him the way we talk about him on this podcast. But since we are only allowed five candidates during the poll dance, we unfortunately have to relay some unfortunate news to Klobuchar, Booker, Castro, O'Rourke, Delaney, Gabbard, Bennett, Yang. I don't see how you can hate from outside of the club. You can't even get in. <laughs> oh. 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 Ladies and gentlemen, this is a CBS YouGov poll taken from July 9th to the 18th. It is the... Get on the floor if you got that booty. Stepping up first to the stage with seven points. He is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg! With 16%. She is your senator from California, Kamala Harris. With 17%, Senator from Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren. And now your co-headliners back up where he is used to being with 19% of the vote. But your headliner with 26% of the vote, Big Joe Biden! That is Judge, Harris, Warren, Sanders, and Biden. Biden up with a five-point spread. And with that, let's go ahead and get into but your you can always email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Open Bayou writes, what's your best guess as to why President Trump didn't go after Dan Lebitard for his comments at the North Carolina rally, but did go after Jamel Hill for tweeting that he's racist? Is it mainly an internal ESPN issue that Dan Lebitard is a popular radio host in a swing state uh, and is based in swing counties while Jamel Hill was just a random journalist that he could attack. So if you're unfamiliar, Dan Lebitard 
is a, a former columnist of the Miami Herald. I guess he still writes every once in a while. He is a, a popular radio host. He hosts a television show on ESPN as well. He has uh, gotten into hot water with his network because he decried the send her back chance at the rally that Donald Trump held. Now, there are a couple reasons as to why I believe Donald Trump did not go after Dan Lebetard in the same way that he went after Jamel Hill. Now, I will excuse anybody who wants to make the argument of, well, he's a man, she's a black woman. I'm not going to, uh, you know, decry anybody saying that. That's not my point of view, but I can see where you could make it. So I figured I'd mention it. Here's why. Number one, I don't think Donald Trump was comfortable with the send uh, her back chance because he distanced himself from them the next day. That's very rare. Donald Trump does not like to go away from the excitement of his base. He likes to live in the excitement of his base. He likes to make it a 24-hour party. He doesn't like to be the pooper. He was the pooper there that says to me that he was uncomfortable with that. Now, the other side, uh, number one, I, I don't necessarily think that it has anything to do with Dan Lebertard is based out of Miami. Number one, Miami's not really a swing county. Uh, you know, certainly in, in back in the day, you could depress more of the by and large, very uh, liberal uh, voting base in Miami by way of the, the Cubans, the uh, Cuban community, which had become conservative because they had left Castro. Although, by the way, I've always thought that the Cuban community is a great example of why really quick immigration might not be the worst thing in the world. And specifically might not be the worst thing in the world for Republicans. Anyhow, I don't think it really has much to do with that. I think that the biggest thing is Trump didn't feel comfortable with it. That's why. Brody writes, just out of curiosity, would you ever contribute to the campaign of any of the Democratic frontrunners? I know you're more of a commentator, and that's where you'd like to be, but I keep coming back to what you said about Biden's response to civil reform over 40 years and what he should have said in regards to Harris's attack. I'm curious if a current campaign manager staff are saying the same thing, not only to Biden, but to other frontrunners. So I guess, Brody, it's very flattering if you're if you're asking me whether or not uh, I feel I would add something to a major campaign. I would say, I think. But then again, I think a lot of dumb stuff, right? <laughs> I think I could probably run a lot of things that I almost certainly could not run. I'd be interested to spend more time around actual uh, uh, campaigns. I've always found campaigns super fascinating, which is why I you know, read so much about them and talk so much uh, uh, about them. But I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, would I ever consider working as a campaign person? I don't think that I would be the best for it because I really don't, I don't believe, I'm not a true believer. And I kind of suspect that most, most campaign managers aren't, but they're just really good at faking it. I don't know if I'm so good at faking it. Chris writes, on Monday, you wondered if Mitt Romney might have fared better in 2012 by leaning more into his faith. If you used Avenger-style time travel to go back and create an alternate timeline where he wins after uh, encouraging him to lean into the Mormon thing, how do you envision the 2016 race shaping up? Would Hillary still be the chosen one? 
Would Joe have made a more serious run before uh, getting in his own way? Would we have had the rise of Bernie? Would Mittens be in his second term? So many questions. Okay. If Romney wins in 2012, it is obviously a far more wide open field. I think you would see a field in 2016 that you're seeing now, basically. So I think Warren would have probably run. I think Booker would have probably ran. Bernie almost certainly would have run, but I don't know whether or not he gets the shine that he gets. And I don't know whether or not we see the the gigantic rise of progressivism in the same way that we did during that election. I think that there are still some underlying elements of it. But you know that that isn't that that is a fascinating question. I but the one thing that I am absolutely sure of is that although Hillary Clinton would have been the front runner, I don't know if she would have had the same power that she would have in a three person race or four person race. And I don't think Joe Biden would have ran. I think Joe Biden would have just been king of the Senate forever. That would have been well, no, no, because he was out of the Senate, so he would serve one term. And then maybe he would run. Although it's harder. I mean, if you are a vice president of a president that loses in a midterm or in in a in a uh, fails to get a second term, that's not exactly great on your resume. <laughs> you don't want to see that. So no, I don't think Biden would have run. And low key, I don't know if Hillary would have run. To be honest with you. I don't know if she likes the idea of a wide open primary. I think she really liked the idea of 2016. She liked the idea of totally controlling the Democratic Party and having no, nothing that could go wrong. Until, of course, she birthed two megastars. Nelson writes, genuine question. There is no doubt that a lot of the talking points and news around the government today is due to President Trump's tumultuous administration and governing style, as well as the passion to the left uh, to rid him or rid themselves of him. Lord knows that Trump himself has been catering to the media, giving them something to talk about on a near daily basis. So if the Democrats win the White House in 2020 or in a fantasy scenario where somebody primaries Trump, pause for laughter. Do you think you'll have any interest in continuing with PX3 and the newsletter in the face of a calmer, more stable government? Or do you think that there will be enough shit stirring from one of the parties to keep things interesting? I don't know. Because I don't know if I would still be doing this if things were boring. But maybe, Nelson, I will, I will submit this, maybe things will never be boring again. So there is always a chance that I just get very frustrated by the fact that there's not enough to talk about. But I'm betting on the fact that we are in the land of no longer being boring ever. At least that's my hope. Tom writes, not going to lie. I would love to see Beto run for Senate against MJ Hager and Castro for the entertainment value. But does he really think he can raise record breaking or even any funds again? His $80 million haul was during the midterms, and I'm certain a large percentage of that came from out of state. Not a day went by on Reddit without a top post about Beto from r slash blue wave or something. 
I live in Ohio and a coworker even had a Beto bumper sticker, but I have serious doubts that she would donate to an out-of-state Senate race during the Democratic primaries. So I wish Beto luck if, he's the, if he decides to step up to bat for a third time. Well, I mean, look, dude, I agree with you on everything you said, but Beto is in a rock and a hard place. I would like to thank our producers, Paul, Mike, and Brad for supporting the show. Uh, you guys are great. You, of course, can follow their lead by heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Or if you hate Patreon, come on, Patreon haters. Reward me for finding a place for you. Go to RedCircle.com slash PX number three. You can always email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Music has been provided by Valesco and Trop Killers. Big shout out to Zachary Fox and Kenny Beats for uh, the the clips of Jesus is the one that I used uh, for, for God Week. You can follow me at Justin R. Young everywhere and download archived episodes of this show at bonerwars.com. And you can sign up for my free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Join our Discord if you want to talk more politics 24-7, bit.ly slash jury discord. Until next week, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying, politics has three names. And I heard one show, man, was talking about politics. I heard another one that was talking about politics. And I heard one the other day that was even talking about politics. But this is the only show that talks about all three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>